Welcome to Money Grows on Trees. Money does grow on trees. A podcast full of practical, real-life money lessons that you wish you learned in school. Lloyd is a former lawyer turned lifestyle entrepreneur. In each episode, he'll be answering the tough questions around money, investing, and entrepreneurship to help you transform your money mindset and move you closer to achieving your financial goals. Now, let the class begin. Here's your host, Lloyd Ross. All right, welcome back to the show, Money Grows on Trees podcast. My name is Lloyd Rice. This episode is titled, What I Love and Hate About Real Estate. What I Love and Hate About Real Estate. I find this so funny. Uh, if you've been following me on Instagram for a while or, you know, my emails or whatever it might be, social media, or you know me in person perhaps, then it may strike you that I'm someone that doesn't like real estate because I haven't, I don't hold any real estate right now. Um, and I don't talk about it a lot. Okay. In fact, I may have mentioned parts of it that I don't like. And I think this came from when my barber said to me today, he said, Hey, you don't really do real estate, do you? And I was like, that's interesting. Um, that's probably part of my brand. But what's fascinating about that is that I don't love it or hate it. I just, I love it under certain circumstances and I love it for certain things and I hate certain things about it. So this episode is what I love and hate about real estate. So just a bit of background info, just so you know. My background is I did, I became a lawyer. Okay, so I'm a lawyer, admitted to the Supreme Court in 2008 and I cut my teeth on conveyancing and property law and I got a high distinctions in land law. And I worked for a lawyer who was a conveyancing lawyer. And when I left there, I, before, even before then, I worked in commercial sales and leasing, got my full real estate license, which I still hold and is still active. So I actually hold a full real estate license in the state of Queensland. And, and I'm a real estate and I'm a property lawyer. That's how I cut my teeth on property. And then from there, I went into real estate development and worked for the largest real estate developer in the world who had $18 billion worth of projects under, under construction. I did design feasibilities and financial models for residential and mixed use developments. And that's, I had a wonderful mentor in the United Arab Emirates that I did that under and I learned and I, yeah, did lots of projects. Okay. And beyond that, I ran a property investment, um, coaching and planning business with my dad for seven years, ran the business with him, you know, rehashed the business, rebuilt it back up after the GFC and was effectively uh, the licensee then still am. And it's, that's, that's years of experience in property that I've had. Um, also being closely associated with certain transactions I've seen my dad do. He's been taking the auction since I was about six. A lot of my friends are in real estate. I grew up on the Gold Coast, which is primarily real estate driven. I mean, I understand real estate, right? It's like, it's a miracle that I don't own any. It's not just a miracle, truly. I've avoided it. And so it's interesting, but I understand it really well. It's just, I just don't own any for certain reasons I want to explain on this podcast. But just so you know, my whole background is real estate, okay? <laughs> so it's not that I don't know about it, or it's just that I choose to not participate with it as an investment to build wealth at this stage of my life because of a lot of my effort, attention, and money has gone into building and scaling two businesses beyond seven figures, which is quite a thing to do, okay? So that's where my attention has gone and it's been a really good decision because that particular decision, instead of just going and getting a mortgage like everyone else, I haven't pinned, we haven't pinned ourselves down. We haven't um, 
Sure, we haven't participated in some of the capital growth, but the cash flow we've been able to create from our businesses has allowed us to have complete financial independence and freedom from jobs for many years. It's allowed us to travel the world that we consistently do, uh, work together from home and have a greater impact and be more on purpose and be more fulfilled and a lot happier. So it was a very good decision instead of just going off and putting all our money into real estate. So building businesses has been number one priority. Outside that, I've taken some off and obviously built a seven-figure portfolio in shares based on all the self-education that I've done and formal education with the CFA charter um, over the years because I just felt buying pieces of businesses is what shares are. Again, is my love affair with businesses. So I'm a business guy. I love building and scaling my own businesses, which which we do. My wife, Alicia, have had tremendous success in that area, particularly online business. I ran a business with my dad in partnership with him. Um, and I ha- we run a share portfolio. So I, I, I commonly look at into details of public companies and businesses all the time, okay? So I guess my love affairs with business, it's not necessarily with real estate. And what I saw in my real estate career was that real estate came with a few pitfalls as well as obviously some wonderful things too. Um, and I just thought to myself, I don't know if I want to play that game. So I get, to, I get to choose the games I play, and so do you. You don't have to play the game of real estate just because everyone in the flipping city wants you to do it and they all want to do it, okay? You don't have to play that game. Um, so here's what I love about real estate, okay? I love that it's predictable, okay? It's got predictable cash flows. I love that. It's like if you buy a million-dollar place, you can be rest assured it's probably going to produce about 50 grand a year in rental income, okay, if you buy in a city in Australia. If you, um, what else? It's consistent cash flow. It's steady. You, uh, it grows predictably, typically with population growth. If, as long as a place you're in is growing in population, the real estate will go up. But real estate does not go up, listen up, if the population is declining. How do I know that? Go and look at the Japanese property market. There's areas of Japan that are declining in population. You can buy a very cheap property, so it's gone backwards. So property doesn't just go up. It, it's supply and demand. It's very simple. There's certain supply of real estate. If it's static, then if the demand falls, real estate falls. If the demand goes up, which is population growth, real estate goes up in value. As simple as that. It's very simple supply and demand Okay, that dictates property. On the Gold Coast recently, we had an influx massively after COVID that created a very artificial population growth in our city. And of course, because it was an undersupply of real estate, because no one expected the great migration, the real estate went through the roof. I think it grew by 60% in two or three years. So you can see that it's fairly predictable to grow in value over time as population demand continues to grow. So it's very, it's, it's fairly simple to spot long-term growth trends. It's a bit harder to, to spot short-term growth trends, okay? It's almost impossible uh, a lot of the time. So I like that it's consistent. I like that it's steady. I like that you can't transact it a lot. Like I like the fact that it's expensive to transact because it forces people to hold it for long periods of time. Uh, I like that it's good for community. I like I like that it houses people. I like that. I like to um, invest in things that are good for the world. So, you know, I like that about real estate. Um, and I, what I really love about it is the leverage. So like, for example, where I see real estate being really effective from a wealth building standpoint is the fact that you can put down, say, a $200,000 deposit, borrow the balance, um, say the property's worth 1.3 million or something, you can borrow the balance, 1.1, you can pay interest, you can get the tenant to pay some of the rent. Uh, sorry, the interest on the mortgage, you can t- get the tenant to pay it that part of it and you pay some of the operating costs and you can 
effectively borrow like 80 to 90% of the purchase price. And as the property doubles, if it does, over the space of 10 or 12 years, then um, you're effectively doubling the gross value of the property. So let's say you bought the property for a million bucks, you put down a hundred grand as a deposit plus costs, and it doubled. You're making a million dollars on your equity position. So you effectively just about minus costs and minus taxes, maybe 8Xing your your equity position, which is awesome. 8Xing your money, seven to 8Xing your money is really good. So I like it for that. But but you know you have to sell it to realize those gains, of course, and then you've got to pay taxes and so forth. But I think it's a wonderful thing to leverage, and the banks do too. That's why they leverage. That's why they borrow, let you borrow so much money against real estate because it's just so steady and predictable, and that's what banks love. You know, you're not going to lend someone. You know, you're not going to lend an average income earner a million bucks just to go off and start a business, or you know, to go and whatever it's 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 secured by the property by the real estate so it's a very simple bet by the bank and i like it for all those reasons um and i like it under certain circumstances like i like that when there's a huge deposit used i like it when it makes more sense to effectively own than rent i think that makes a lot of sense um yeah i like all those things about it what i don't like about it is the fact that they're very poor cash flow machines now <laughs> What do I mean by that? Even if you had a fully paid off property, and I've done this exercise in my first book, Money Grows on Trees, you're gonna get a copy, go to the show notes. I did an exact comparison between CBA shares and and a fully paid off property of the same value, 500K versus 500K. And the shares came way on top in terms of the cash flow that actually winds up in your pocket. See, when you own property, people don't realize this, even if it's an investment property, and you're getting, let's say you own a million bucks, you bought the property, and you're getting 50 grand a year rent from 5% your rental yield. I don't think many properties at the moment yield 5%, but let's say it did. What they don't realize is, firstly, you've got to pay a property manager to look after it. Then you've got to pay insurance, then you've got to pay rates, and then you've got to pay upkeep. Okay, they are real costs. Then after that, you get the money, then you've got to pay tax, full freight income tax on the balance of the money you're getting in your pocket. So a 5% yield ends up being like a 2 or 2.5% yield. So you're losing a lot of cash that's being thrown off the property before it even hits your, your bank account, before it hits your pocket. Whereas with shares, depending on which ones you buy, there's no operating costs, there's no um, rates or insurance and stuff like that is what I mean. There's no property manager, there's no maintenance, okay? But also, depending on what you buy, you may not even have to pay tax if you have fully franked dividends giving you income. So I think from a cash flow standpoint, I've that's why I don't like property so much. And I don't like... Even though I like the leverage, I don't like it so much that I want to go out and get tons of leverage because then you're susceptible to interest rate rises. And I think that that little puppy is coming home to roost, so to speak, for a lot of people in the last couple of years because they bought in real estate when it was 2.5% retail rates and now it's 6% retail rates and they're, they're like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. So you've got to be very careful you don't get into too much debt and leverage too heavily either. So I don't like the debt component done wrong. I don't like the cash flow, the lack of cash flow because of the operating costs and tax costs. Um, and I know that there's tax deductions and so forth if you're accessible income and yada, yada, yada. I get all that, right? Um, and I don't like also that it's not that liquid. So what I love about it, the things I love about it are also the things I dislike about it, which is fascinating. So I don't like that you can't simply click a button and put your hands on a million bucks. I like the fact that I can do that with, my share, with our shares. Like I can click a button tomorrow 
I put my hands on a lot of money. It's just great. It's liquid. But that's also not effective for some people too because they can't handle it. So you have to have tremendous amounts of discipline with a share portfolio versus real estate. But I love... I love aspects of real estate and I dislike aspects of real estate, okay? And if you see me buying, it probably would be for various reasons of I feel like the real estate particular thing that I was buying is undervalued. So back in 2009, I was approached, I was actually going to buy, there's a property in in Surface Paradise and I could have bought some of those studios in, I think it's the Mantra View now, for 60,000 bucks. Um, I could have bought a handful of them. And I didn't, but I knew it was undervalued. And I think back then, real estate after the GFC was prime time to buy real estate. And I think even Warren Buffett bought some back then. But yeah, under certain circumstances, I would buy a ton of real estate. Like if I if we lived in the United States where there's pound for pound, you know, on an annual income basis, there's cheaper, by far cheaper real estate in the United States when compared to people's incomes than there is in Australia. Plus, there are better tax deductions for home ownership in the United States. You can actually claim your interest from your home as a tax deduction. And there's just better multifamily dwellings, which reduces the risk because you've got multiple doors on the property. I like that. And you can buy them for a lot cheaper in the USA. There's bigger population. Um, And there's also, what I love about the States is there's non-recourse loans. Okay? So if you can't pay it off, you don't go bankrupt. Whereas in Australia, if you can't pay your mortgage, bye-bye, they come after you. Okay, they're called recourse loans. They're full recourse loans in Australia. In the United States, they are non-recourse. That's why during the GFC, people just left the keys to the house on the bench and just bailed. And they couldn't, the bank couldn't go after them. So in Australia, it's not like that. So it's very risky to hold the debt here against property. They will take everything you're worth. They'll bank, you'll go bankrupt, right? If you can't pay your home back. You've got to pay it back. They'll sell the property, of course, but you owe them the balance upon the sales proceeds. So that's a huge difference. And also in the United States, check it out. This is why I would buy real estate in the United States because you can lock, well, you could have. It was the smartest buy ever. And if I had have lived there, we would have done it. Um, you could have locked in 2% interest rates for 30 years. They have 30-year fixed terms. That's insane. In Australia, we have like maximum five years, usually four-year fixed rates. So that's why all these poor feet people in Australia who fixed their rates four years ago at these low rates or three years ago, really, really record low rates, they fixed them. And now next year, those fixed rates are going to expire and they're going to go from 2.5% all the way up to probably 6%. Just like that, bang, and all of a sudden they're going to have some problems with their cash flow. So if I lived in the United States, of course I would buy property. It makes so much more sense to buy property there. But we don't live in the United States. We live in Australia where the property is extremely overvalued based on average annual earnings. Like many years ago in Australia, in the 70s and 80s, you could have bought um, property for like three times annual earnings. Okay? So for example... Even up to in the 90s and 2000, three times annual earnings, meaning if I earn, say, 50 grand a year, I could have bought a property for 150,000. That's pretty normal, three times annual earnings, okay? But now it's 10 times. So if I'm on 800,000, uh, sorry, 50,000. So firstly, the property I feel personally in Australia, parts of it are certainly undervalued. 
But I think across the board, there's a housing crisis because it's overvalued. There's not been enough supply because the people that make the su- supply decisions, they don't want the value of their property to fall, so they're not going to supply the market. They're not incentivized to. And the second thing is um, we've got a growing population. So it, it, it doesn't look like it's going to crash, but I think it's way overvalued. Um, and I don't like that you're going to pay, say, if you bought a $2 million place, you're going to pay 90 grand in stamp duty, which is huge. It's just a, a sunk cost. It's dead. And then you're going to pay uh, mortgage insurance. If you're borrowing 90%, you have mortgage insurance of like 80 grand. So what do you got? $170,000 would just disappear money if you buy a place for $2 bucks a year. And, and so I, I think about those things. And do I want to play that game? Not right now. But if the property market changes, let's say if interest rates go right up to like 8%, Okay, and I'm saying they're gonna they're gonna do that, but let's say they did, and people start offloading their houses. Like I don't want to hold this anymore, and maybe there's a market correction of twenty percent. Maybe I'm a buyer, maybe, but I'll be doing it with a big cash deposit for various reasons um, under certain circumstances, and but I'll be thoughtful about it. And if that never that time never comes, I probably won't buy any. Why do I have to own real estate? Why do I have to even participate in it? I don't care. We can just compound our money in shares for the rest of our life and have no debt. Won't make any difference to us. Um, you know, it's uh, we do what we want in our rental, right? Doesn't really matter. We can find another rental. It's just, it's just, you just don't have to play the games that everyone else is playing. Does it mean you can't get financial independence? No. Um, we have financial independence, probably more so than most people I talk to. And I think it's because of those decisions we've made that we've been able to build that because we're focused on other things that provide more flexibility, more cash flow, more independence, and not tie us down to some obligation we don't really need. So I think that they're under the right circumstances. I love property, um, and that's my love-hate relationship with it. But it's not because I don't believe in it. It's just because I don't believe in it under certain circumstances. And right now, I think in the world, those circumstances are like prevalent. Like it's never been this expensive in 50 years. I'm not a person who runs out to overpay for assets. If you get to know me, that's just not what I'm about. I like to buy them when they're on sale. And right now, I just don't think the property market's on sale. But anyway, that's my my take on it. I hope that's been... Uh, interesting for you to listen to and learn about. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please uh, share it with a friend, um, share it to your stories. Thanks for the five-star reviews. Check out the, the links in the in the show notes there about my, any of my books, our YouTube channel, jump to our free Telegram, uh, daily money tips in there, lloydstelegram.com. And uh, thanks again for tuning in. You go have yourself a wealthy week.